you know, we all do have a story. <clears throat> it's a story uh, of victory. In 1 Corinthians in chapter 15, it says this, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you hear that? That that God has not just had victory over death, but that he gives us victory through Jesus Christ. I'm so excited this summer to look at uh, this common thread that is woven throughout Scripture. Um, it's, a, it's a thread of victory that is seen in the lives of the men and women that are spoken about through God's Word. But victory is not just the story of Scripture. Victory is the story that God wants you to proclaim for your life as well through Jesus Christ. Any of you have any traveling plans this summer? Any vacations? You know, some people. Nobody's going on vacation this summer. You're just not. You're just not tracking. Some vacation plans. Goodness. Somebody go on vacation. Everybody, go go do something. Well, if you're looking for some vacation plans, if you had uh, if you had just about 400 miles northeast of here to Canton, Ohio, you can visit the Football Hall of Fame. And if you like a, a tag along with you, just grab me. I'll I'll head up there with you. All right. I'll make some time. Um, if you're not into football, you're like, nah, football's not my thing. You go a little bit farther north. You can go to Cleveland, Ohio. I know nobody wants to go to Cleveland necessarily, but the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is there, and uh, that would be pretty fun. Now, I know some of you in this room are like, I don't need to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I am a part of rock and roll. Like, I live that legend, okay? Um, now, now, if rock and roll and football's not your thing, maybe it's America's pastime. About 900 miles from here in Cooperstown, New York, you'll find the Baseball Hall of Fame, truly America's pastime, quite a place to go to if you'd like to go to the, the Baseball Hall of Fame. Now, some of you are like, I'm not a, into that type of sports. I'm not a rock and roll guy. I'm a cowboy. Some of you are the Scott Arms of the world right here. I'm a cowboy. I want to go to the Cowboy Hall of Fame, which is uh, 696 miles southwest of here in Oklahoma City. You can go lasso you some sort of animal at the Cowboy Hall of Fame. Now, Hall of Fames are, are interesting places, aren't they? I mean, they are these almost like memorials of history um, to the games and the movements and ways of life that they represent. One thing is clear, though, that Hall of Fames are not filled with losers, are they? I mean, there's a reason that, that Babe Ruth and Vince Lombardi and Michael Jordan and the Beatles uh, grace the walls of these places. Uh, they weren't just good at their craft. They were they were great at it. And often their greatness um, led them to, to many victories. In the book of Hebrews, in your Bibles, if you want to turn over there, you can. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11 throughout the day. Um, and, and we're going to be bouncing around a little bit uh, in Hebrews 11. But in this, this chapter, we have this, um, this, uh, this hall of fame, per se, of people of faith. Now, some people would actually refer to this chapter of Scripture as the hall of faith. Unlike the Hall of Fames, if you go to visit uh, Hebrews 11, you, you're going to find that it is laced with ordinary men and women that represented something very special. They lived extraordinary lives, right? And they accomplished great things by their, their faith. But it wasn't a ball, it wasn't a guitar, and it wasn't some sort of helmet that would define them. It was their reliance, trust, and faith in God, a living and active God. A faith that today still speaks volumes to us. But what is, what is faith? 
Now, the author of Hebrews, in verse 1 of chapter 11, opens up by saying this. He says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. What are you confident in? What do you trust in this, this world? Now, from the, the original uh, language, this word could be uh, uh, of confidence, could be uh, maybe communicated as firmness or a guarantee or a proof. So, so now faith is a firmness or a guarantee in what we hope for. And then the, the word that is translated assurance in our scripture could also be translated as uh, a conviction or to not be static or, or complacent, but something that wells up to, in us, uh, that gives life to us and action to us. You, you see, faith has, has always demanded a person's actions, Right? I think the, the best verse of scripture to look about at this is in John. It's a familiar scripture. Obviously, you probably have all seen this one a time or two. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, that term believes in both the original language and in our language is a verb. And a verb demands action, right? A verb tells something about who we are and what we do. Uh, a verb uh, makes us move, and, and that's what, that's what we're, we're learning here, is that, uh, the, that there is uh, something that uh, accompanies belief, and that is action. Now, faith has been muddied through the years. I think there are some misconceptions of faith, or maybe some misunderstandings of faith that can result in these fractions of the truth. So I want to help this morning to clearly define what faith is. I'm going to pull up alongside the author of Hebrews in, in chapter 11, and I want to encourage you to better understand faith as a two-way street, us to God and, and God back to, to us. A faith that is seen in, in a firmness in what we hope for and a conviction in what we do not see. So here's some of those misconceptions. I believe there, there are four. Um, as I did some study this week, I came across this list, and I thought it was well-written. Um, the first is this, faith as God's goodness to me. That's a misconception of faith. You know, as much as I would love to tell you that if you come to Christ and you have a true faith in him, that your problems will magically dissipate and your life will suddenly become overwhelmingly good and that you won't be able to do anything but smile, right? As much as I'd love to tell you that, that would be a lie. Sometimes this is referred to as the health and wealth gospel, right? One, one author said it like this. There is, of course, truth to the claim that God wishes to bless his children, but this vision of faith comes crashing down on the rocks of reality. You see, God is in the, the process of working out uh, good things for us. Romans, in Romans 8, chapter, uh, verse 28, tells us that uh, God is working together uh, all things um, for the good of those who love him. But sometimes the working together of those good things comes in difficult and odd packages. So if you build your faith on what you would assume is God's goodness to you, the adversary is going to use that as an opportunity then to accuse God of not being so good, right? And if he's not so good to you, then that means that your faith will crumble if it's built solely off of your thought of God's goodness to you. You can't, build your, you can't build it solely off of this. So then for some, they say that, that faith equals creed. 
Creed meaning a, a statement of beliefs. Uh, for many, this is what, what faith consists of for them. It's, a, uh, it's some sort of like checklist of, uh, yes, I believe this, yes, I believe this, yes, I believe that. Faith certainly does rest on sound belief, but it cannot be wrapped up solely in some sort of intellectual and completely rational agreement. Doctrinal statements can share intellectual truths of God's word, but they almost always leave a person void of action if their faith is solely built on this. I like to think about it in regards to um, the folks of the Old Testament, the, the Jews of that day, um, and then how they moved into the New Testament. Here Jesus is. They had their thoughts. They had their belief system. Here are these religious elite that, that knew all the words. They knew all the doctrine. They knew, they knew what they were supposed to believe, but somehow or another, they missed Jesus in the process of it. Like, Jesus came as the fulfillment of the law, and they were so um, built up on their doctrinal statements that they missed they miss Christ in the midst of that. So what might that be for us if we solely build our, our faith off of some sort of doctrinal statement? But then for some, they say, well, well, faith is a blind leap into the unknown. Now, this often happens when people are trying to prove God to somebody. You've probably heard somebody say something like, you're just going to have to take a leap of faith. That's not all bad. There are times where we have to leap out. I think of Peter and the, the boat when he stepped up on the water. I think that was probably a little bit of a leap of faith. But often people with this misconception of faith will reason things like a true scientist can't be a person of faith because scientists ground themselves in facts and truths. We struggle with faith by saying things like, well, you just got to have faith that it'll all work out, which in some way means you got to act contrary to all that you know and and hope that something different will, will take place. I think this misconception is brought down by verse 3 of our passage this morning. It says this in verse 3 of, of chapter 11, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Or look, look I, I don't blindly believe that the earth was created in six days by the Creator, and then that He rested on the seventh. Nor is one going against true factual evidence when they believe in the literal creation. I like to think about it like this. Evolution is still a theory. We have to recognize that. Now, some people like to present it as fact, but it is a theory. Evolution is something that is being taught to children as, as fact, but it is a, a theory that there is always, they always come back to some sort of question or some sort of, well, we have to, we got to put in here, I think this is what happened. This might have been what happened. We're not really sure, but we, we believe this happened. There's always answers that they cannot receive. Now, for us, we recognize, as that scripture said, that the uh, invisible God created the visible. Out of nothing, he created what is this, the earth, us. He created us. So we understand that by factual evidence and who God is, that God, the one from the, that created the earth, then helped to, to write this book that we call the Bible. So for me, this is fact and truth, and then I understand that as, as God's truth. So it's not a blind leap when we believe that the earth was created in six days. It's a confident leap in the truth of, of Scripture and knowing who God is, and, and, and we can trust his is his faithfulness to us in that. But finally, you have this misconception, that, that faith um, is a, a life of reflective devotion. Now, this one might be the easiest to, um, to argue for, 
right? Uh, this makes faith synonymous with spirituality, meaning that uh, sincerity to whatever belief system you have is, is all that matters. And that a person's commitment to their faith transforms them into a more purposeful and, and loving person. The only thing is that there are other good belief systems out there. And systems that, um, if followed with great devotion, are going to end in a byproduct of good actions and maybe even a, a fairly decent person. But they leave us void of, of Christ. Well, ultimately, all these misconceptions have some sort of truth in them. They all lead us void of true faith. And when the going gets tough, they may allow the faith to crumble. You see, faith that the author of Hebrews defines with as bold confidence and assured conviction. Faith is more than health and wealth. It's more than doctrinal statements of belief. It's more than blind leaps into the unknown and reflective devotion. I like how one scholar put it. He said, faith is confidence that results in actions carried out in a variety of situations by ordinary people in response to the unseen God and his promises with various earthly outcomes, but always the ultimate outcome of God's reward. Now, this morning, we don't have time to look through the whole of chapter 11. As much as I would love to look at every single story in there, we would be here for a couple days, and I know you don't want to be here for a couple days. Um, so I, I want to just take a, a broad overview of, of Hebrews 11. And, and there's one thing that's clear. Each and every person that is written about in this, this chapter um, was faithful, and they, were, they, they lived by faith. Actually, that term, by faith, is written 22 times in this one chapter, by faith. You see, there are always byproducts of, of faith. These individuals experience the byproduct by their faith, and then their byproduct shows us what true faith looks like. Now, as you look throughout this passage of Scripture this morning, as we study through, throughout it this morning, I, I think there are three things that are really clear about every situation that is spoken about. The first is this, that faith does something. There's an old story of a, a tightrope walker, um, who, uh, who, who was going to cross Niagara Falls. So he, he got on the Canadian side, landed a rope, and then somehow or another, I guess he got it over the, the falls. I'm not sure how he did this, but supposedly it's a true story. Um, so he got it over to the good US of A, um, and he was going to walk that tightrope. So all these people came to see him. It was this big uh, circus act. And sure enough, he got on the rope, and he made his way steadily and surely across Niagara Falls. And he hopped down, and the people there on that side just erupted in applause and just thought this was, was wonderful that he could do this. He hopped down and he picked up a small wheelbarrow, put it on the rope, and then hopped back up on the rope. And again, he proceeded across that rope back to the other side. And now both crowds on both sides were roaring and you could almost hear them over the falls um, that there lay below him. And it was a, a wonderful act. Then he did this kind of about face, turned his wheelbarrow back on the rope, and he looked to the crowd on that side and he said, does anybody think I can do it again? But I can walk across the falls one more time. And the crowd erupted. Yeah, we think you can do it. We, we believe you can. And there was one young man that was in the front row that just seemed to catch the aerialist's eyes. And he looked at the young man. He said, young man, do you think I can really do this one more time? He said, yeah, I believe you can. He said, well, hop in the wheelbarrow then. <laughs> right? Come on. Let's go, let's go take a little ride across Niagara Falls. The guy didn't get in the wheelbarrow. We'll say that. Um, he believed, but he didn't have faith right? Because faith would then act on belief. I like the subheading of the NIV um, Bible that, that says faith in action. 
But the truth is, I think all faith demands action. I don't quite believe you can have true faith without action. Abraham's example makes this clear. Throughout Hebrews 11, Abraham's the one that is spoken of the most. Um, he is this almost like, we picture, you know, some people would argue that Michael Jordan is not the greatest basketball player of all time. Let's just say he is for this, this uh, story right now. Abraham's like the Michael Jordan of, of faith, all right? He's the guy that everybody looked to. Um, he was the forefather. Now, in James chapter 2, verses 21 through 22, it, it kind of sums up Abraham's life like this. But was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith, and here it is, and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. You hear that? There's some sort of incompleteness, not finished. It's, it's not all there without this, right? His faith was made complete by what, by what he did. But Abraham was not the only one who did something. Throughout chapter 11, there are story after story of men who confidently, and women who confidently acted in accordance with what God said. By faith, Abel offered to God. Enoch walked with God. Noah built an ark. Abraham obeyed. Isaac and Jacob blessed others. Or if you, you go down into verses 32 through 34, there's this just like a, a sequence of words like faith, conquered, administered, gained, shut, quenched, escaped, became powerful, and routed in war. Every example that is given about a faith is seen in action. So if I ask somebody today that is close to you, how they have seen your faith in action, what would they say? Would they say, you know what, I see their faith in how they serve others, how they care for others. They just, they're always finding a way to, to love somebody else and, and to help them out in a time of need. Or would they say, you know what, I've seen it in how they respond to their difficult situations. Like when, when sorrow comes knocking at their door, like they're the ones that just seem so confident and can trust that I know that God's going to see me through this. And I see their faith through that. Or how about this? What step of faith might you need to take? Maybe for some, it's that initial step of giving your life over to the Lord in baptism. I think there is no accident that, that Christ instituted baptism for us because that is an action that then represents our faith in him. So maybe you need to take that first initial step to accept true salvation and grace and to give your life over to the Lord in baptism. Or maybe for some of you men in this room, you've recognized that for a long time, your job has pulled you away from being a good husband and a good father. The hours and the time that it calls for you to, to, to live out and to, to be there, and you, you're recognizing more and more that you are struggling to be the husband that your wife needs and the father that your, your kids are longing for. And so for you, the act of faith is to go ahead and put in your resignation and to find a job that would, that would uh, better suit you being a father and a husband to your, your children and your wife. Or, or maybe, maybe the step is to just stop coming to church and to start pouring out and being a part of the church. That's the step of faith you have. Now, for some of you in this room, I think sometimes we get to these moments in, in, in a sermon and we're like, man, we start feeling this guilt trip of things. I, I recognize that in this room there are some faithful people there are many of you who have committed to the church, who are raising your children in the right ways, who are doing things that God would call you to do. And it's not to say we don't have, all have progress to make, but I think for some of us, the step of faith is just simply this. Hold steady. Continue on in the ways that you are living. 
Continue to be a good father. Continue to raise your children in the right way. Continue to, to, to lead uh, your, your family. Maybe it's to continue to care for somebody and to take care of that person that sometimes is just difficult for you. Just to hold, to hold steady. You know, oftentimes faith is coupled with that terminology, take a step of faith. So what step of faith might you need to take? You see, no matter what the circumstance is or the situation and whatever it holds to you, we can have trust and power, a great assurance and confidence in God, and we can be faithful to that. And by doing that, we're going to take some, take some steps. We're going to put some action to it. But second, I saw this. As, you, as I studied through the Word, I, I noticed that every situation of faith uh, always received a response. Faith always receives a response. One scholar said it like this, faith has two dimensions. It runs from us to God and from God to us. When we are faithful to God, God always responds to his faithfulness to, uh, with faithfulness to us. I like how Hebrews 11 verse 5 says, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away before he was taken. He was commended as one who pleased God. You see, by faith, Enoch lived a righteous life. And by faith, God responded by not letting him see a mortal's death. Moses was washed ashore from the Nile when in a basket when his mother, by faith, placed him in the Nile. And by faith, God saw him to the reeds amongst the palace pools. The Israelites passed through on dry ground when the Red Sea split, when the Israelites were led by faith, and by faith, God told the water to stand up so that they could pass through on dry ground. And the walls of Jericho fell when God's people, by faith, marched around the city as commanded, and then God, by faith, made those walls tumble. You see, God always responds with faithfulness to our faithful acts. But take note, not always is the response triumph in this world. I think it's important to understand the, the situation of what this, uh, this book of Hebrews was originally, who it was originally written to, right? We can never truly understand what the scripture means to us until we first understand what it meant to the very first hearers and readers, all right? So, so uh, the book of Hebrews was most likely, we believe, written to the church at Rome, uh, a church of uh, people that were, were Christians in that day, but they had come from the Jewish faith, right? So they had, they had seen Christ as the fulfillment of the Jewish law and that they were now believing in Christ. Now, by doing that, they would have begun to receive persecution. Uh, the, the faith was no longer, their faith was no longer protected. So not only were they going to receive persecution from the Romans, but they were also also receiving persecution from the Jews, right? We, we know that uh, the apostle Paul was, was somebody that was a Jew. We knew him as Saul at that time, but he was persecuting Christians. So these people were undergoing quite a bit of persecution and some of them were beginning to be swayed back to this idea of maybe Christ really isn't this thing. So a lot of what the book of Hebrews is teaching us about is that Christ really was the perfecter of that old Testament law, the perfecter of faith. And now he is teaching this crowd what faith looks like. And the very first story, and it is no accident that he uses this as the first example of faithfulness, is the story of Abel. In verse 4 it says this, By faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. And by faith he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith Abel still speaks 
even though he is dead. Now, do you know the story of Cain and Abel? Right? Abel offered his first fruits to God. Right? He took his very first fruits and he gave them away to the Lord in an offering. And then Cain, Cain, well, Cain just offered what was left over. He just brought his leftovers to God and said, here you go, God, here's an offering to you. Abel's offering was seen as, as good and pleasing in God's eyes. Cain's not so much. So Cain was jealous. And what did what Cain do? Cain killed Abel. Is that the response from God? There's surely a, a difficulty that's happening. Why didn't, why didn't God protect Abel? Why didn't, why didn't God see him through in that situation? Or, or look at verses 13 through 16. Um, I, think, I think these verses teach us a lot. It says this, all these people were still living. It's talking about all these faithful people. They were still living by faith when they, when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So you get this, the response was that God saw them through the ups and downs of life, he saw them to their death, and that in eternity God will not be ashamed of them. God's response is always love and faithfulness to our faith. You see, being faithful doesn't mean that life is not going to be filled with ups and downs. To be quite honest, it probably means just the opposite. Think about it like this, Noah. Noah was told to build an ark, Noah built an ark, took him quite a few years, and he was heckled by people. He was told he was stupid. Why, why are you doing that? The troubles that he went through as he, he built that ark. Abraham and his wife struggled for many years with hopes that maybe this time, maybe this time, maybe this month, we'll know that she's pregnant. Not till she was in her 90s and he was 100 years old did, he, did they find out that she was pregnant. Can you imagine the months after months that went by and then when the hope began to dwindle and they thought there's just no, no possible way. Joseph was hated by all of his brothers. The Israelites wandered in the desert. You see, being faithful to God doesn't mean it's going to be easy selling, but it does mean no matter what, that God's going to walk with you. His response will be strength when you are weak, courage when you are timid, power when you are powerless, and joy when you're depressed. God's going to see you through the troubles. He's going to see you through the difficulties that this world throws at you. And in light of eternity, he will not be ashamed of you. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 10, verses 32 and 33. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. You see, God always responds faithfully. Which leads to the final truth. The thing that I constantly came back to was faith secures a reward. When one is faithful to our God, the reward is always extravagant. Faith in God and trust in Jesus for salvation does not turn up void. Listen to what the Hebrew author is, how he ends, ends verses 39 and 40, saying, These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. 
It goes on in chapter 12, if you want to look over in verses 1 through 3, saying, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those are those faithful people, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. There it is, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Look, the reward is clear. Someday, the eastern sky is going to split. And the the scripture tells us this, that every knee will bow. I believe that our knees will bow because we recognize that God is faithful to his promises. And we are going to bow faithfully to God. There are going to be others who have not put their faith in God, whose knees are going, to, are going to bow out of fear because they know that they are going to stand before a holy God and have no hope. But we have hope. We have something that they don't have, and we want to share that hope with others, don't we? And we want others to come to know who Christ is. We recognize that there is going to be a place where there is no pain and no sorrow and no difficulty, only godly joy, only a place where there is, there's no more problems, there's no more ups and downs. There is only what God has intended for his creation in the perfection of that. I think preacher Chuck, Chuck Swindoll said it well when he, he shared this story. He said, legend has it, a man was lost in the desert, uh, just dying for a drink of water. He stumbled across this old shack. It was windowless, uh, weather-beaten, old, old shack. And he, he, he made his way in, and he found this little spot of shade away from the, the desert sun. And he sat there, and he glanced off in the distance, and he saw a, a pump, an old rusty water pump. He stumbled over to it, and he grabbed that handle, and he just began to pump that thing up and down, up and down but nothing came out. Disappointed, he staggered back and sat down in the shade once more, and he noticed off into the corner of that shack was an old jug. He looked at it, and he wiped away the dust and the dirt, and he saw a message scribbled on the side of it. He said, you need to prime the pump with the water that's in this jug, my friend. And it said, P.S., be sure to fill the jug back up before you leave. He popped the cork out of the jug, and sure enough, it it was full of water. Suddenly, he was faced with this decision. If I drink the water, I can live. Ah, but if if I pour the water into the pump, maybe it will yield fresh water, cool water, deep down in the well. And all that water I wanted, I'll be able to, to take in. He studied the possibilities of both options, and then he made his way over to that old rusty pump, and he poured the whole of all those contents into the pump. He began to pump up and down, up and down. Squeak, squeak, it went. Squeak, squeak, it went. Suddenly, a little dribble, then a small stream, and then before he knew it, it was gushing about water out of it, and he began to to fill himself with that water and to drink of it, and he stuck his head under it, and he got his, his body wet, and he just took every bit of it he could take in, and then he filled up the old jug. He walked it back over to that corner in that old shack, and he sat it down, and he scribbled a little bit more to that note, saying, believe me, it really works. You just have to have a little faith. You just have to have faith. 
I don't know what the problem is right now or what the struggle that you are going through or why you feel like the, the world is crashing down and you're thinking, God, I don't see you right now. Where are you at? Why aren't you helping me? What's the difficult, what, what's your problem? I think we all could recognize something. We all have something in our mind right now that we see as the situation and we might be struggling just to have, have faith. Now our faith's gonna take action. The action might just be that it's gonna take getting up every single day and going about life and trusting that God's gonna work it out. It may be that we don't see his response in this lifetime. But we know that ultimately, someday, we will receive a greater reward than we could ever imagine. We 